Let me begin reading. This is verse 22 of Acts 24, and this is God's Word. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. This is in reference to Paul, by the way. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and had sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment... Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Thanks be to God for his word, and let's us bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, privileged as we are, to be able to enjoy yet another opportunity in your house, on your day, under the sound of your word, with our brothers and sisters because of your grace. And Lord, we ask that you make full use of this time that you would would chase from our consciousness distractions Lord if there are problems we leave them in your care Lord we need to deal with them we understand that but Lord for the time being may we sit at your feet may you be the teacher may we be the student we also ask your blessing on other churches doing this very thing at this very hour and we ask your blessing on our members meeting tonight that you would guide us go before us that you would have us do your will and for your glory. And Lord, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Now, I am fully aware, as many of you are, that that we've been studying what seems like the same material for a while now. And, And just because we've been studying Paul's protracted legal proceedings for over a month, that is no reason to... uh, how should I put this, uh, downgrade the series to the status of boring just because uh, there seems to be a lack of variety. It's there. Uh, we've had adventure. We've had uh, mystery. We, we've had uh, scandal. We've had drama. We've had all these things. And it, it goes from here. But it is sounding repetitive. And Paul is defending the same gospel in the ears of some of the same people on multiple occasions. This is just um, where we find ourselves having started with a visit to Jerusalem chapters ago. Everyone told Paul not to go. You're in danger. They will kill you. He said, why are you breaking my heart? I've got to go. You know it. We know it. They decided, let the will of the Lord be done. We'll go. So he went. When he got there, He was seized in the temple. They thought that he'd brought a Gentile in the temple with him. He had not. That started a riot of sorts. It got the attention of the adjacent building, the Antonio Fortress, and the Tribune, Lysias, that we just read about, descended on the uproar. 
silenced the people, took Paul into custody. He's up the way of the stairs. Paul asks if he can talk. He gives permission to talk. Paul speaks. And when he says Gentiles, they go crazy again, pull him into the barracks, and they wait. The next day, he calls a meeting, mandatory meeting of the council. Tell me what you've got against this fellow because I can't figure out what this is all about. He mentions that he had lived that day in good conscience up until that point in his life. That got him a slap in the face. And then realizing this is going nowhere, he brings up the subject of the resurrection and splits that council when it looks like they're going to tear him to pieces back to the barracks again. And then last week we talked about this big optic... A move of force when half the Antonio fortress, about 500 men, horses, spearmen, carry Paul to Caesarea. Now it's no longer the tribune's problem, it's Felix's problem. And there was a preliminary hearing when uh, the Jews got there and they'd hired their lawyer. You remember his name was Tertullus. And there was lots of flattery, but there was nothing brought to bear that had anything to do with why this man was in custody. It was kind of an empty prosecution and a good defense. And that's where we pick up this morning with Felix having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when the tribute comes down, I'll decide your case. So it's kind of smart on the fellow's part. He's on the horns of a dilemma. You've heard that saying. That means uh, you got one horn and it's sharp on this side and one horn on this side and it's sharp and you'd rather avoid either horn you're kind of stuck. So on the one hand, the tribune had found no fault in him. That was a legal Roman hearing. He has that in writing. So there's nothing to see there. And then with these that have come in, Tertullus has been uh, not able to substantiate any of his charges against Paul. So Felix has nothing to convict this man for. But he wants to be in good favor with the Jews, so he doesn't want to let him go. And then Luke tells us what he's not advertising, and that is that he hopes to get a bribe out of this. So what does he do? He kicks the can down the road. And we just read for two years before it's over. And because of uh, his Roman citizenship, which has come up on numerable occasions, and having not been convicted of a crime, he was entitled to custodia liberia. It doesn't mean he's a janitor at a library. That means he's under house arrest. People can come and go as they please. There's no restrictions. He's always guarded, and he has uh, a leash. It's not but so long, but people can come and support his needs. And we know he's there on the banks of the Mediterranean Sea in Caesarea at Herod's place. It's the club med of incarceration if there ever was such a thing. So it's a good deal. We have no evidence that the tribune ever makes the trip. That's what he had said. When he comes down, we'll figure out what's going on. And there's probably a reason why he doesn't make the trip if that's the case. Because you remember he came within an inch of beating Paul uncondemned as a Roman citizen, which got him in real hot water. He probably doesn't want that coming up in the discovery phase should he show up and they continue the trial. So as far as the record goes, there would be no further public hearings for two years. But Luke tells us 
that during those two years, Felix frequently called Paul privately. It's not official. The Jews that accuse him are not there. There's no uh, convening of uh, any legal uh, meetings, hearings, anything. It's just Felix with or without his wife, Drusilla, and Paul. And they talk. Often. Don't know exactly how often, but often sounds like it's not seldom, but it's often. And some of the Western texts, when I say Western texts, that would be some of the fragments that we've got that make up the, uh, you know, the, the pieces of ancient Scripture that we call our Bibles, uh, seem to indicate with the tense in the Greek that it was actually Felix's wife, Drusilla, that's the initiator behind summoning Paul the first time. She was Jewish. Maybe she wanted to hear what this is all about. He's famous. Maybe she wants to see him face to face. We don't know. All we know is that they talk. They're together. And a little bit of background. Uh, this, this man, Felix, and his wife, Drusilla. Ever met anyone named Drusilla? I haven't. I don't know. I, I, I suppose it's worth a Google. You could find somebody named Drusilla. I know one person was named Delilah, that radio lady. Um, Drusilla's probably better than Delilah as far as biblical names that aren't used much. Um, but she was the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I, uh, whose gruesome death we learned about in chapter 12. Remember, he was the guy with the reflective suit, and everybody had a, a, a big to-do about him. He took the glory for himself, didn't give it to the Lord, and he died, was suddenly eaten with worms. Talked about how that could have been any number of things that could happen naturally by you know, parasites or something, but it was bad. That was her father, and um, this would make her the sister of King Agrippa II. He's introduced next week. And Bernice, which is his wife or not. Now, that would be weird if it was. That was the rumor. We'll save that till later. But we're introduced to them both next week. Drusilla had the reputation of being very beautiful, uh, strikingly so. And it's found numerous places in uh, non-biblical history. And with the help of a magician, the history books tell us, and some think that it might even fit the description of Simon Magus, the magician, in in Acts chapter 8. But long story short, the two of them, in a way, seduce this young woman, much younger than Felix, to divorce her husband and to become his third wife. This would be her second husband. And it was one of those things where if there were tabloids, this would be all over them. Uh, Old fellow marries young, attractive girl, uh, stolen away from her rightful husband. Uh, High government, back channel, maneuvering, whatever. It's good front copy checking out at Walmart stuff. And that, that, that's certainly what it would have been. Now, for the time being, let's skip over the topics discussed by Felix and Drusilla and Paul. Come back to that in just a second uh, and finish out what, what else is said here. Over the months of Paul's two years Caesarean house arrest, Felix, without Drusilla, seems 
to send for Paul frequently. She's not mentioned except this one initial meeting. And Luke is clear that he hoped for a bribe, something that was common. It wasn't legal in the black and white writing of their law code, but it happened, and it happened a lot. That's how this government worked. That's how a guy like Felix would get to his position anyway. Uh, he's not, he was not born a citizen of Rome like Paul was, nor was this fellow uh, that was the tribune. So what is the real motive? Because I, I, I don't think we should be satisfied with it just being a bribe. Because he could have extracted that bribe any way he chose. And he doesn't need to keep bringing him in to remind him that I'm open to a bribe. He surely had trusted men. They could relay that and remind Paul and keep tabs on Paul to see how Paul's standard of living looks as people bring him things. They could probably have people on the payroll that dig in and find out what he's worth. There's something else going on here. And there's a little clue in there at the beginning where it says, Felix having... A knowledge of the way. Christianity, that is. Where did he learn that? How did he learn that? How much did he know? We're not told. But there seems like there must be some form of admiration by Felix for Paul, or at least a respect of his wisdom. Or maybe he saw that this man has something that he didn't have when he could have anything that he wanted, but he just couldn't quite figure it out. We'll ask him one day when we meet him, I suppose, in glory, but... We don't know the answers to this, but I think there's more going on than just the bribe. So back to the discussion with Felix and Drusilla. Look at verse 24. We'll we'll read that one more time. After some days, Felix came came with his wife Drusilla, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul, heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. That is the topic, okay? Everything else falls under that. Verse 25, and as he reasoned, and we see that word a lot when Paul's teaching, he he lays it out in a way that would make sense. Uh, This isn't um, oratory or rhetoric as much as it is teaching. He's reasoning with them to see that these things are so. About, and there are three points, righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. The result, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. Uh, He's clearly um, carrying himself like the man in charge in the place of power. Hey, uh, bad time. Uh, When it's good time, I'll call you. Kind of like, you know, hey, if uh, you need me, I'll call you. That that sort of thing. It it seems quite one-sided. And then Luke summarizes what is under the banner of a discussion about faith in Christ Jesus with at least three topics, righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. He's summarizing, surely a lot is said about each of those three. And if you were to look through a stack of commentaries, and if you were privy to scholarly work regarding this passage, most are going to consider those three points as the three thrusts of his message to these people. And and if you think of who we just talked about, this this man known for his cruelty, and this woman that he's stolen away from someone else, um, I don't think they've got much in in regard to righteousness, self-control, and have a lot to worry about with the coming judgment as far as a 
Christian worldview would be concerned. So most would consider the righteousness of the three to be in response to the abuse and brutality that Felix was well known for, far more in the extra-biblical history than we see in the Bible, but uh, it was his reputation. And at the end of these two years, he's called back to Rome for precisely his overreach of power and in an abusive way. He has much to worry about. Now, if we're just talking about the topic, righteousness, what is righteousness? Well, it have to do with, with right versus wrong, wouldn't you say? And a pattern of right instead of wrong would be righteousness, and the opposite would be unrighteousness, and right, righteousness would be right living, patterned uh, according to what? Some form of a standard. You can't just leave righteousness up to anybody. I, I, I define my own righteousness. Not when it's Paul and not when he's talking about the God of the universe and his dealings with the Hebrew people over millennia. Also would include justice, fairness. This, this could be a, a tough opening argument considering who he's speaking to. This man's known for running roughshod over anyone and anything that got in his way. Righteousness doesn't take bribes. Righteousness doesn't lie. And, and this kind of, this fellow, he's, he's not unlike some of the other uh, high rollers we see in Scripture, especially the Old Testament, that just seem to flaunt it kind of like when we were studying Esther and Ahasuerus. I mean, they wore it on their sleeve. Um, you know, we might put stickers on the back of our trucks or something that talk about maybe our hobbies. You know, this Sunday I got in trouble for talking about salt life stickers. Well, he'd have like liar life on the back of his big old truck <laughs> and brag about it. That's what I do. That's how I got to where I am. Uh, brutality life. Uh, injustice life or, or, or some other kind of sticker you know, to, to make fun of the whole thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to get us thinking in that direction. But this would be tough. Uh, take it a step further. The, the same, same scholars' commentaries uh, would say that self-control is, is, is along the same measure. Now, the historian Tacitus says that this fellow Felix exercised the authority of a king with the spirit of a slave, which says something about his character. He was a freed slave. Um, doesn't mean that it should turn out bad. We talked about Ben-Hur before. It'll probably come on in two weeks around Easter. You may see it on Good Friday or something like that. It's a fict fictitious story, but it's a guy who was a slave who helped the governor, rose to power, but he lived morally, right? He struggled with some things. Um, but it has been said that there is never a tyrant so cruel as a slave when he's put on a throne. And that seems to be what happened with this fellow. He had no morality to start with, so with the power, it only made it worse. Uh, his name that he gave himself, because once you got to be someone in charge, you, know, you needed a name for everybody to know you by. Uh, the word Felix means happy. Uh, Mr. Happy became Governor Happy. 
And most historians believe that the happy was his way of naming himself what he thought his life was purposed for. I live to make me happy. Um, he probably could have given old blue eyes plenty of material to add another verse to the, I did it my way. That, that, that'd be this fella. So self-control is not something that, that he's known for. Glaringly absent in the unchecked lust which had not only drawn Felix to Drusilla, but was responsible for his contrived scheme to steal her away from her lawful husband. At this point, I'm thinking, maybe this is why we don't see Drusilla again um, squirming in their seats. There's no restraint. They're being called out. And then most would assume that the judgment mentioned would refer to the inevitable consequences for anyone, but especially their immorality and injustice. Is that what we believe that this is all about? Now just think of the the context. Paul's been taken from one hearing where he's beat on to another hearing where he's hit in the face to another situation where they try to scourge him, but it's found out he's a Roman citizen, uh, to an armored convoy so that the plot against him doesn't succeed and he's killed before he gets to Caesarea. And now he's in prison, and it it seems everybody knows it's not if you can get out of here, it's how much does it cost. So you're called up. Paul, first couple wants to talk with you. About what? Well, I don't know. So what does he think? Well, what should I offer the person, Mr. Happy, and see if I can be on my way? Maybe there's another basket I can get in and go over the wall and escape the mob waiting for me if I'm released. Or does Paul take the course that we see spelled out in the 13 of the New Testament books titled... uh, as given credit to his authorship by the first word of the book, Paul to such and such and such and such, where he's clear about his purpose in life, and that is to bear witness to the claims of Christ, that he is to uh, encourage, exhort, rebuke with all long-suffering, and so forth. Uh, It's over and over and over again. He's not for sale. He's a spokesperson. And it's not his own two cents It's what he learned from Jesus Christ. So what's he going to do? Is he going to give these two a barrel each of truth? Yes. But is that all? Because Luke is summarizing. What else do we know about Paul that would help us color up this situation that wouldn't be doing violation to Luke's brevity, but just coloring it up with the the caricature of Paul that Luke has been consistent to describe for us? I think that would be worth an investigation. Perhaps may it be that the righteousness that Paul spoke of, which Felix and Drusilla had none of, would he go as far as to mention another righteousness, an alien righteousness, a righteousness not their own or any human beings, but the righteousness of the sinless Son of God, that according to John 3.16, God loved the world enough to give so that that world didn't need to perish if they trust in that one man's righteousness in place of their unrighteousness. I don't think that'd be any stretch at all. I think Paul would see that as a wide open door. 
I think both would have gone on. And he wouldn't stop there. It could be that as is the case, it's certainly the case, if there's justification, which would involve being declared righteous by God, right? If, if, if God's going to declare you righteous because you have the righteousness of his son, that's called, theologically speaking, justification. You're justified. Your wrong is justified because it's been covered over by the righteousness of someone else, his son. And it's good where your credit is bad. Well, justification, we're told in Scripture, is also accompanied by something called sanctification, isn't it? If you're justified, then you're sanctified. It's, it's as simple as saying this. To be sanctified is to progressively be more like Jesus today than you were yesterday and less like yourself today than you were yesterday more like Jesus tomorrow than you are today, or less like yourself tomorrow. It's a progression. He must increase, we must decrease. You get saved, you have Christ's righteousness, you start to look like Him. It's called sanctification. Or otherwise called self-control. Right? Where you learn the discipline of self-mastery. And it's not just you doing that anymore. You have the Holy Spirit to help you with it. So if you've got justification and sanctification, overcoming the temptation under the power of the Holy Spirit, then having endured to the end of one's life, isn't the judgment for the child of God really salvation from judgment? Because the curse of sin no longer rests on you. That curse of sin has been broken by what Jesus did on the cross when he gave you his righteousness. So you survive the awful final judgment of God, and that's called glorification. You have the three tenses of salvation theologically explained by Paul, summarized by Luke, by some hard-hitting sounding points, righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come, no survivors, Unless, of course, your righteousness is Jesus's. Your sanctification is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when this life is over, you are as sure for glory as the nose on your face. Not because of your righteousness, but because of the righteousness of... Who are they talking about? Faith in Christ Jesus. I'd be shocked. In fact, I wouldn't know that Paul at all if he missed that open door to give both grace and law at the same time because Paul's the one that tells us that salvation is by repentance and faith not just a list of you know when you sit down with someone you're 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 shopping around for a broker or an insurance agent and you've got this nice shiny glossy trifold thing with all the benefits that your coverage gives you right Do they ever put the price on that brochure? No. Do they ever enlarge the small print? Like, there's lots of ways you could die when we're not going to pay. There's lots of sicknesses you could get that we're not going to cover. There's lots of ways the market could react where your money's gone and we keep some of it. Right? So some of these things sound too good to be true. But if there's also law on the other side where... Felix, Drusilla, it's not just you. I am the chief of sinners. I persecuted these people. I killed some of them. I stood while some were stoned, holding their coats. I need this 
alien righteousness, sanctification, and glorification as much as you do. I won't escape without Jesus any more than you will escape with Jesus. We're all doomed. Says so by God in the Garden of Eden after the first sin was committed. But because of Jesus, we can be saved. That is one fine three-point sermon. If your humble pastor can say so himself. Now, which scenario is more likely to produce the noted reaction by Felix to Paul's, Felix to Paul's teaching? What was that reaction? Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Greek is specific. There's ways to say he was mad at him. There's ways to say he was offended at him. This is alarmed. And though we instinctively want to alleviate alarmedness. Is that a word? Alarmedness? No, I don't know how to put it in that tense I was using. But in this case, I think we should recognize that a certain amount of alarmedness, maybe that's better, is necessary. You've got to realize you're lost before you ever get saved. If you don't get to that stage, if there's never a prick of the conscience, if there's never a a, a veil being removed and seeing oneself as they are before holy God as an unholy sinner, Jesus is not big because you're not small. We can't be big and Him be small in this work. We have to see it clearly. So... It's not enough to present benefits of following Jesus. Following Jesus comes only through repentance and faith. Certainly, here's something I saw, and and, um, I think it tells you all you need to know about these two people standing face to face. Felix's release from sin certainly meant more to Paul than his own release from prison, wouldn't you say? Didn't he say that all the time? He'd willingly be condemned to know that others might be freed, spiritually speaking. So Paul has nothing by the way of self-service here. He gains to stand a brother if this man repents. But this man he's speaking to is kind of like that rich young ruler. He's seeking... He hasn't found anything yet because at the end of the day, it seems he's more interested in Paul's bribe than he is Paul's story of repentance. And if he gets that bribe, he's not worried about Paul because Paul's a dead man as soon as he's released. So just the motive of each of these men could not be any different. All right. Let's wrap this up by thinking our way through. It's some... All of these passages are different. Some of them give us, you know, three points, maybe a poem. We got three points. But uh, what do we do with this? We know what Paul did with it. Sometimes at the end of a film, you know, when uh, plot and the characters and the problem or uh, you know, crisis has been solved, at least for the the. the Duration of the movie itself. Every now and then at the end, before the credits roll, maybe with some pictures, but at least with words, you might see a description of what happened to the characters after, you know, what just ended. Sometimes you have to, like, wait 
a long time. Some of these movies I know that the, the kids watch, there's always like one extra scene that tells you something that will connect you to the sequel or whatever. If we were to look at biblical text and non-biblical history and just kind of uh, stretch out the timeline a ways on the players involved here. As far as uh, Felix goes, by the end of what we just read, um, where he's replaced by this Portius Festus, he'd been recalled to Rome. And this is like being called to the principal's office, but way worse. Because he was able to stamp out insurrections, but he was not able to prevent them, history books tell us. Because of cruelty to these people, he was in grave danger of losing not only his position, but even his life. Now, that's not what happened as far as the history goes, but at this point, he would be worried about such. And on his way out, Luke indicates that wanting to do a, a favor for the Jews, because if, if you're not in charge anymore, you, you might want to make a few friends on your way out of office just in case. Felix leaves Paul in custody, but another word is used here. Um, not only is it longer than the two years maximum that uh, the Romans were allowed to keep someone while they deliberated their case. Uh, he removes the house arrest privilege, uh, goes back to the word descriptive of chains, and then we're going to read some overlap between Festus and Felix as to who this man is and what's going on. But uh, this, this is not good news for the hope that this man, having heard the truth, might respond to the gospel and be wondrously changed and saved. Um. And what knowledge he had about the way is very interesting, but we just don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. Though the implication is that he knew more than the Jewish delegation thought he knew. Why would Luke say it if everybody knew it? So he's kind of like, you know, one of these others who is a, in the background. is a closet investigator of the truth claims of, of Christ. But even so, we have no indication whatsoever that he was redeemed ever as a result of Paul's influence. And just to take a, a, you know, a deduction from all this, we've learned over and over and over again in our Bibles, especially in the New Testaments, that it's not possible to hear the good news of the gospel and walk away neutral. This guy heard it good. And either you walk away softer or you walk away harder or you don't walk away at all. You, you, you embrace the whole thing right then and there. But there's, there's no neutrality and God holds us responsible for things that we hear. And what I think is so scary about this is, and, and don't turn this into a professor at a seminary somewhere, one of mine, I might have issue with it, but a hard heart is more dangerous than a sinful heart if thinking in terms of repentance. Because none of those sins on either of their accounts, or Paul the Apostles for that matter, are any match for the salvific potency of the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. The cross neutralizes it. Uh, God said it is finished. And then on the morning of the third day, he raises his son, who said it is finished, uh, to show the whole world that 
the sacrifice is paid satisfactorily and in full. So you don't walk away from an understanding of that. Sinfulness God can deal with, but the hardness of one's heart. Now, it, it looks as if God is certainly twisting the arm of Paul, the apostle known at that point by Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. You will be my witness. You have no choice in the matter. But living our lives at street level, he'll let you have what you want. If you want him, you'll have him. If you don't want him, he'll give you that too. And it's a scary situation. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've been here almost five years. I've met some of you when I got here, some of you along the way, but been here long enough to know that there, there's a Felix or two or seven in any church. Uh, and the idea is there is some knowledge of the way, but it's defer, 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 defer. When it's convenient, I'll call you back. I've got your number. And you go on about your way because your way is working until it doesn't. And there are no self-saved people. I will decide at this point it makes best sense in my life. I'm going to do this. No. God woos you. You bow the knee. Repent of your way that doesn't work. Embrace his way that does. And then live for him until he calls you home. That's, that's the deal. And for Felix, I'm pretty sure he was not a taker. Now, as far as Drusilla, uh, she met her end along with their son. Uh, this is a, a, a very big day in history. It happened in Pompeii. had to do with a big volcano, Vesuvius. History books tell us that's when they met their end. We have even less indication that, that she had responded to anything she heard. And then there's Paul. On the other hand, in contrast to the tireless activity and stress of his three missionary journeys, Paul had enjoyed at least two years of quiet fellowship. His friends can come see him. Uh, doubtless Luke was there, Aristarchus, Philip. You remember he had the four daughters. They lived right there in Caesarea. Um, there's a lot of speculation here because really we just got timetables and loose references to try to cobble together what took place and when. But we're pretty sure that a lot of what we're reading today in the book of Acts and in the gospel of Luke with other gospels like Mark that had already been written and all these eyewitnesses, this is probably Grand Central Station for compiling the work that would later sit in our laps known as Luke's two-volume literature, Gospel of Luke and Acts of the Apostles. Could have been other prison epistles that we don't know about. But uh, probably the most intriguing, and this again is speculation because we just don't know, and there aren't but a few people who uh, have the guts to say who they think wrote the book of Hebrews. Though the top of the list would be uh, Paul or Barnabas or Luke. But it does seem interesting that a book written to Hebrews about Hebrews 
covers almost an exact outline of all the things Paul's been talking about in his high-level defenses against the attacks of whom? The Jews. And whether or not Jesus is who he said he was, according to the prophets, and even some traditions of Judaism. As if Hebrews is just all bound together Paul's two years worth of legal cases. That's speculation, but wouldn't that be an interesting story? The Lord took care of it all, and he's preparing him for the next leg of his journey. He's going to appeal to Caesar. He's going to talk to Agrippa. He's going to be shipwrecked. Uh, We've got a lot to cover before we get to, I think we should wrap this up by the first week in May. But what do we do? We know what Paul did. What do we do? We, 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 we act like witnesses to the saving grace of Jesus Christ who saved our souls. If we have a door, we, we walk through it. Do we give them just the repentance part? Turn or burn, man. Or do we give them the grace as well? You're in a mess, but you can't dig yourself out. You need a savior to be saved from the final judgment. It'll be his righteousness And he'll help you with the self-control. And I'm just as bad off as you are. I'm not better than you. I just happen to have better news because I was handed that news as an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's a lot to think about. Um, So I think the best thing to do is close the service out, bow and ask the Lord to make it so. Give us doors to walk through and to walk through like Paul did. And then we'll pray, and then we'll sing. Uh, Lord, give us the message to help people find a resting place for their faith. Felix didn't find a resting place for his faith. We found it. We find it in the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sunday, another Lord's Day, another chance to open your word And to find ourselves in the middle of a book, in the end of a chapter, in the middle of a very dramatic two years in the life of Paul the Apostle. But Lord, we we clearly see the message of salvation and we clearly see a method for engaging the lost and to do so in a winsome way. The apologies would just be for the truth of your word as truth rather than to shove it under the rug somewhere. And Lord, if we do it right, your grace covers the sting of repentance. Lord, give us guts and give us opportunities. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done through Wake Chapel. Thank you what you continue to do. And Lord, may you see fit to send us those who are hungry and needy just like us. And we'll ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.